welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon, where we talk about the culture war, politics, and anything else that might come up. And today I have my very good friend, comedian, Tanya Edwards. Thanks for doing the show, Tanya. Oh, you know I'm only doing it to see you, Nick. I don't know how you managed to wrangle a, a visit on a laptop, but it is what it is. Hi, thank you for That's having me. That's the problem, because I never see you anymore, so I have to invite you to my podcast just to see you. It's weird, isn't it? So How are you? You look very good. You look very fresh. Well, that's just lighting. I've just got better lighting than you. I need, I need lights, yeah. Yeah, you've talk, Tanya's a bit, for the listener, Tanya's a bit of a boomer. She's struggling a bit with the tech. She had to download the internet before we started. I don't know what she meant. Turned out she was on some ancient operating system. She's got no headphones. Who doesn't have headphones in 2023? That is a serious question. And she's got no microphone. Huh? I couldn't work them out. Oh, I, bought, I didn't buy headphones. I bought one of those special microphones, but it never, it never worked. It never worked. Or did, could you no. not work it? That, this is the question. I can't work it, no. Extraordinary. Well, we're going to do our best with the limited tech. This may, it might be all inaudible, but we'll, we'll do our best. And um, what I wanted to touch about most, Tanya, was, was stuff to do with COVID and lockdowns, because you kind of went, you went pretty, I said it was overdosed on red pills, is what I would call it, during the, during the lockdown. But I've been, you, you went kind of black-pilled. I mean, I've been accused of being black-pilled. The other day, Francis Foster said to me, well, the thing is, mate, you're sort of doing, it's, it's good what you're doing. It's like, it's like black pill satire. I was like, black pilled, mate. I'm, I'm red pilled. Calm down. He was saying, I'm just sort of, you know, I've given up and I'm nihilistic. But you kind of went kind of quite into the, I just realized if we put this on YouTube, we can't say the phrase, but the, you, you, you thought the safe and effective treatment wasn't particularly safe and effective. Is that right? No, of course not. It isn't. Yeah. And you I'm thought, right on that one. You thought it was like really bad because I thought it, I didn't take the safe and effective treatment. But not only did you not take it, you sort of thought it was intended to kill everyone. Yes, I do, yes. And uh, what, can you elaborate? Not, not everyone, not everyone, but certainly enough people. And the weirdest thing is, is that I have met people that have literally had a stroke afterwards. And then they'd say, yeah, but I know other people that didn't. And they, they don't um, seem to mind. It's quite odd. I mean, I'm not worried about my opinion because it's been borne out by the, the stats. It was just um, at the time I thought that I could do something about it, and it turns out little old me couldn't compete with trillions of dollars worth of advertising. I think people are just like big stuff. You know, big stuff makes me feel sick, but I think other people find big things reassuring, and I don't. Like big pharma, you mean? Well, big everything. They think if some, they think if everybody's pulling down their trousers, then that they should too. Whereas I think, oh, whoa, everyone's gone mental. They're all pulling down their pants at the same time. What's going on here? I, I, not, um, people have sort of outsourced their conscience to the collective and that's, that's not where I'm at. But I, I definitely took all the red pills. I, I found God, I did everything, Nick. I am a proper, proper existential crisis. Yeah, I'm very happy there. You went full Team James, as it's called. I mean, I do another podcast, as people will know, with Toby Young. And there's Team Toby and Team James, and Team Toby's basically a sort of, oh, everything's just a cock up, it's, uh, you know, it's incompetence, there's no conspiracy, and Team James is very much, it's all a conspiracy. And you're possibly even more Team James than Team James. I mean, I, I agree yeah, with you on I most think, things, but go on. I, I feel a bit, um, I was actually, I love, I love Toby, personally, he's a nice bloke, I did um, some shows for him at the Free Speech Union. And it was quite funny one time, oh, there's a spider on my floor. Um, one time there was a, I was having a chat with him and a comedian came over, Darius Davies, and he said, oh, you know, what's going on here? And I said, this is Toby. He's one of the most erudite, well-researched, superb, inquisitive journalists you're ever going to meet. And he doesn't think anything strange is going on. And um, obviously that's funny because there is clearly something strange going on. We can just look at what's literally being passed through Parliament. We can see what's happening. Uh, well, everyone else can, but not, not Toby. And uh, I'm not quite sure how long he's going to be able to keep that up. But obviously you're doing very well with him, so you can't comment. You're doing very well, generally. It's, it's suited you. This last period has suited you. But you've disappeared oh, from yeah. the circuit. Yeah, yeah, because, well, yeah, I've just been able to finally just speak my mind fully. And working with Toby doesn't stop me doing that in any way, by the way. But um, but leaving comedy certainly helped that. You know, you, you can't say anything in comedy. I mean, didn't you even lose your agent because of your views? Yeah. Um, yes. So I wrote a blog, which was probably only read by her. <laughs> and I was um, taking the fizz out of masks. And she called me up and she said, if you say this, then you won't, I won't get you your book deal and I won't get you your television work. I won't get you anything. 
And I said, um, I'm talking about the future of my children, and, and that was the end of that. So, gone. Wow. So you were going to lose all your work because people outside people outside comedy find this kind of stuff hard to be. I mean, perhaps post COVID, it's almost become normal. But but you were going to lose all your work because you said that masks were were sort of didn't work. Yeah, I just took the the piss out of the hygiene theatre. I thought it was absurd. I, I, it was very strange actually. I did some working. I did working man's club, and uh, everyone was normal in that room regardless of the the rules i mean they had to accept table service but they were all normal you know they were laughing and touching and sitting together and and just normal and then i would do theaters it was definitely a middle class um mental breakdown i would do theaters and grown adult men would be sitting where they were told like in pairs miles away from other people with masks on. it was just so utterly bizarre and it also corporatized our, our traditional contempt for the customer in a way that i found irritating to work with so I did um possibly comment on that too in fact that wasn't yeah, one yeah, of my it was, best gigs oh my god very upset <laughs> looking around like I think I think I might have said something like I'm reading about the Nazis to relax um look at yourselves but you know some people agree and some people don't agree Ultimately, it is going to play out as it's going to play out. I, I no longer think I can change everything, but I think I can certainly ameliorate my own circumstances and hopefully um, be ready for the next the next round. I don't think it's I don't think it's um, stopped. I think we're just warming up. Right. So, so your connection went dodgy there. So you, you were, were you saying that in the working men's club they were kind of normal, but in another <laughs> gig they were all wearing masks and stuff. Anywhere middle class went insane. So there's a there's a club that I used to be quite intimidated by. It's like a sort of rugby club, you know. I mean, lots of rugby fans go there. And I, I mean, I've done mm -hmm. that show when they've just removed 18 people, you know, and, and um, you, you go on stage and you wonder whether you're supposed to comment it or not. But it's it was always, you know, you had to really be fast, you had to really turn out your jokes quickly, or it would be agony. And um, one that was one of the first gigs I did where they were doing these new rules. And these big men that I used to be frightened of were literally sitting down because if they stood up to get their pint, then they would die. But apparently they were handed their pint, they'd be okay. And um, it was it was so clearly dysfunctional, everybody standing on a sticker in the street or it, everything was so peculiar. And the fact that nobody could see how peculiar it was made me feel physically sick. And I didn't participate in any of it, um, but everybody else did. My, my poor mother, she... Um, you know, she would wear a mask, but she wouldn't put it on in front of me because she knew I couldn't, um, I wouldn't be able to respect her afterwards. Well, that's nice that she she did that. No one would give me that respect in my family. I mean, I was the same as you with masks. I wore one literally three times. Once was because of a, of a promoter in a club, a comedy club we know, who was just begging me to wear it because he kept getting visits from the police. It was in that first insane yeah. time. So I was like, I okay. Huh? I stopped going to that club. And I stopped going to that club then because I thought, well, um, I, I didn't want to make someone anxious about their business. You know, I, I appreciate that some people are doing certain things. It's very hard not to look at myself, by the way. My son's worried that I don't know what I look like because apparently I can't pass a reflective surface without pouting, and <laughs> the desire to pout is almost overwhelming me. So if you see me look at my own reflection and start pouting, it's just you have no idea how much um, discipline I'm using to avoid. <laughs> But yeah, so I stopped going to that club because I thought it's too much pressure, and I and uh, I don't want to upset people. I started going back when the when the masks went. But I mean, I even did a gig to cars, and the cars were socially distanced. It, it was <laughs> it was so absurd. I, I just, masks I'm just over the bumpers. Go on. Yeah, I'm just shocked at how um, how how desperate people were to not disrupt the narrative that they've been told. I mean, they could literally have, well, just looked out the window and it would have been okay. But it was, it's got, I think it's got to the point where people have dedicated their, dedicated their own way of viewing the world so that you could tell them it was raining and they would rather believe you than look out the window. I, I think it's a worrying time to be alive. A kind of well, sunk I mean, cost fallacy. Huh? Yes, a kind of sunk cost fallacy where they've they've already gone this far, so they have to just double down on on the madness yes. rather than change their yes. mind. I mean, yeah, I was the same as you on mask. The other two times I wore it, once in that club to not shut my mate's business down, and twice because a GP was just being 
such a dick about it. And he, so I just, that was the only times I wore it, and three ever, and it never wore it in a supermarket, never wore it on a train or tube. And people are like, how are you doing this? I'm like, I'm just walking in. And it, I, I appreciate it might be harder for women because I kept, kept seeing these tweets from women, like I've been confronted about a mask, someone was so rude and aggressive. And I'm thinking maybe they're just cowards and bullies and they go up to women more, whereas I look like I might crack and just sort of <laughs> you know, just fine. kill everyone. I am. But you never I had any problem either. Well, sometimes there would be a lot of police at the station, my local station. They'd just sort of all turn up at once and they would stop me. And I would just say, I can't hear you. And they would repeat themselves until eventually they'd <laughs> say, where's your mask? And I'd say, oh, I'm exempt. Cheers. But I, I think I actually found that quite stressful. At the time, I was so angry. Um, I was obviously didn't behave in an angry fashion because I have two small children that I didn't want to stress out. Um, but I was angry and when it stopped, I um, felt, I, I, could, I realized how angry I'd been. I, I did put one on once. I had one of those cloth things. It was when they just introduced it and I, I um, we walked into the station and I pulled it up like this and my husband burst out laughing. He said, you look ridiculous. And I took it off and I never wore it again. He was more, um, I think he sometimes wore it, but again, not, not in front of me. I love that I they were so scared of you. <laughs> they didn't even wear it in front of you. That's quite. I mean, that's the one one place where we differed. I just wanted to be left alone and not put into a camp. Whereas you were more like aggressively. How can you people be doing this? I was more like leave me alone, maniacs. So there was a slight difference in a, in approach, just due to personality difference, I think. But um, Maybe. my brother even wore it. It's so funny. It's not. A, it's not a. Uh, it was never a medical thing. To me, it was well. Obviously, it's a medical thing, and you know, old people and so on. I'm not no, saying it was it's... not a medical thing. It was a control thing. Of course, it was. Yeah, the it's mask. The mask, absolutely. I mean, COVID in general. I can't can't bother getting into debate about whether that's medical or what. I mean is the phenomenon of mask, particularly because I'm a chronic hypochondriac. I'm literally going to therapy for it. It's so bad, right? But I didn't care about all this stuff, so it was not. So it, it was more of a political phenomenon. Whereas my brother, while we're sharing family stories, not not a hypochondriac in any way, but he would wear a mask. Would be outside at a pub after we played football, he'd wear the mask at the bench outside, then he'd take it off. He'd take it off when he sat down, then he'd put it on to get up and walk outside, never going back inside, to walk from the bench through the outside part of the pub to the outside, wearing a mask. I'm like, that's insane. That's purely because... It was, it was humiliating. People couldn't see that they were humiliating themselves. I found it so embarrassing. I, I, I found it so shameful. Yeah. And other people didn't. And weirdly, some people are now wearing them again. And um, mad, I feel sorry for those people. I don't feel upset with them. I feel really, I feel full of pity. Yeah, I feel bad throwing my brother on the bus, but it's just because you were talking about your family. And I thought, the thing is, because with, with, he works for one of our extended blob institutions, the kind of extended deep state. I sort of feel like with him, people like him are probably actually setting an example. I mean, you know, other people are just sort of sheeple. Whereas I actually feel like some people are probably saying, this is the responsible thing to do and I'm, I'm a leader, which is kind of, I don't know if that's better or worse, but... Um, yeah, I've seen a few people wearing them recently and you're like, you just sort of stare at them now. Like they're definitely the freaks now. And for a long time, I was the only one in the supermarket not wearing it. But now the one person that's wearing it in the supermarket is just completely insane. They're never going to stop wearing it. Do you think people are embarrassed now about themselves when they see those people? Or do you think that they just think that they did the right thing at the time and now it's... Yes, the latter. They probably think, oh, can't, oh that person's still wearing a mask. You know, they, 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 they probably don't think much about it. They certainly won't think... I was that idiot once. No, that would be far too much. I, I knew people. I was great friends with them. This is actually why I came off Facebook because I thought, why am I on Facebook? I'm just sick how mad she's gone. And I don't think that's a healthy, healthy um, thing to, to want to constantly discover. How insane is she today? But we lived together. Well, not lived together, but we were living in Paris together a thousand years ago. And she was like a punk and, um, you know, she was sort of cool. And I, she went complete. I mean, she's American. That doesn't help. Um, but she went fully insane, you know, masking up her kids. And you'd see them. She'd post pictures of them at a meal with her family, and everyone would be in masks. And then you obviously know at some point they're going to take the masks off for their meal. But what she wanted to show people was how responsible they were, even when they were eating. I've seen a few people that could benefit from a mask actually at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> They yeah, well, maybe relaxed. that would maybe they help relax. me lose this extra stone I'm trying to lose. But um, yeah, it's ah, but... very flattering. I've lost too much weight, Nick. I need to get some sleep and eat some cake. That's what I'm thinking. Well, you look very fresh. 
No, it's I'm, the lights. I need some fancy it's lights. The, it's Why the good lighting. Yeah, Tanya, I'm a, I'm a little overweight, but <clears throat> thank you anyway. I'm just choking. Um, I um, yeah. The, I, the reason I focus on the mask in there. You what? How is the how is the therapy going? Well, do you know what? He's banned me from talking about it on broadcast, but I suppose I can, about things he says, but I suppose I can say it's going quite well. It's just doing it helps, just just actually doing something. Because I've just got this insane hypochondria. But I think it's funny because it doesn't pertain to COVID at all. And I didn't take the safe and effective treatment. I didn't wear the safe and effective mask. So it's like, how can it be? Uh, so it's not, people was, People sometimes levied the charge, oh, we're being led by hypochondriacs. The nation's been taken over by hypochondriacs. I was like, hey, hey, leave the hypochondriacs alone. We're still out here worrying about phantom illnesses while not wearing masks. You know what I mean? It wasn't hypochondria. It was a political phenomenon because you could predict someone's politics by whether they were wearing a mask or not, basically. No, it's a mental contagion. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A mind virus, as Musk might say. What was the other phrase? What's the phrase from um, hypnosis? Mass formation psychosis. Yes, yes, mass yeah. formation psychosis. Okay. There's an, an amazing book actually. Oh. Go on. There's an amazing book called The Rape of the Mind by a guy called Merlu. It was written in the 40s. And um, I read that, and every single page I was like, oh my God, they had, someone's read this book and they're literally applying it to the population and, and it's working. Um, but then I, I got over it. You know, for the first year, I thought I could change things or. Well, actually, for maybe the first year, I just read every single paper, you know, every single... I was trying to prove myself wrong every day. I read every research paper of every pre-existing COVID vaccine since 2003. I read every science paper. I listened to every debate. And then after about a year, I was like, yeah, it's just a crock of shit. And I'm wasting my time. And I started playing the piano. And now I'm really good at the piano. So <laughs> there are other things that <laughs> well, you can good. do. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, what you were doing there was actually... You were being like an actual scientist, trying to prove yourself your hypotheses wrong. That's what what, what science should be doing, isn't it? And and um and you yeah. couldn't because you were correct. The, the only I mean, well, I say you were correct. We had some slight difference on the degree. It was a matter of degrees, really. You just, I mean, I don't I, I, like like I say, if we put this on YouTube, we can't talk about it. But but you felt the uh, the safe and effective treatment was kind of a deliberate ploy to sort of destroy the population. Have you have you changed your mind on that? No, I haven't. But I do think that it's going to happen again. And I, a really basic, basic thing. I think um, psychologically, a pregnancy is a perfect example. And when you're pregnant, you're told you shouldn't even eat tuna or certain types of cheese. And weirdly, I think that that, that whole phenomenon that you're, that everyone's so careful, you know, the water's wet, you might slip, hold the handrail, be, watch the, the new one is watch the brushes on the side of the escalators, you know, insanity, such, such safety madness that people have forgotten how to, to walk for themselves. They think that they need to be told everything. But it, it was amazing to me how many pregnant people took this. And I personally know people that lost their babies after taking the safe and effective treatment um, or had, you know, I, I, the fact that that's still going on or that they're now going to give this to babies is, is um, murder. So I'm, I'm still very, I'm, I'm definitely further along that line than you. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, it's also more generally on a moral perspective, we were being told that we were going to create an apartheid system where one person would be allowed to do something if they went along with something and someone else would be excluded. And I had a, an, a very um, emotional argument with a family member and I said they're going to create a two-tier system and if you participate you'll be able to do stuff and if you don't participate you won't and and my father said <laughs> um, well then I better take it because I want to go to Crete and the the moral issue um, completely escaped everybody and that that's what that's how I I um, started you know my long pilgrimage of weeping in churches so well, we'll get on to that, but um, I just smile for a sec because you, you, you said safe and effective treatment in such a funny way. It suddenly struck me as a really funny phrase. Then I realized you were talking about people losing their babies and I just laughed and I felt terrible. But it was absolutely horrific, obviously. Um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, you were, you were correct. You've been proved right on mask. And the reason we're talking about them is cause, just because of your blog that actually ended your <laughs> mainstream comedy career yeah. about mask. But, but, um, <laughs> but, but then you have been proved completely right on mask. The metadata is in. You, on the safe and effective treatment, it's definitely, it's definitely a highly questionable treatment. <clears throat> I would never be anywhere near it. But whether the only thing is, you haven't necessarily been proved right that it was designed to kill everyone. You know, we could still, it could still just be big pharma cashing in. Let's just let's just pretend for a second that it wasn't as terrible as it clearly is. If you look at the 
excess deaths and the illnesses. But if you were to ignore that for a second, just the idea that you should experiment on every human being on earth before the end of a trial period, everywhere, the idea that everybody has the same physical needs is, is originally absurd. That's absurd. But if the median age of death is 83, it's even more absurd. And none of those things were ever in, were ever in question. But it's it, it just the idea that you should be penalised for believing in consent or bodily autonomy or patience is wicked. So, I, I, you know, I'm so over it, though. It's, it's so obvious. You either see it or you don't see it, you know. And I, I think morally it spoke for itself, but I don't think we have morals anymore. I think we're in such a... Um, an immoral time that nobody even noticed that everything had been inverted. I think actually the only way that people can still see what a terrible inversion there has been of everything is when they see children, because children are so perfect and innocent that they, they're, even children are now objectionable to the truly depraved. And that's why children are now sort of on the front line of hearing all of this completely irrelevant stuff that's not, that's not age appropriate. You know, so it's a it's a deeper cultural problem that we have. It's very ugly. Yeah, it was, absolutely. Um, very serious. This is very serious. It is very oh, serious. I, I'm a serious guy. Go on. I was going to say about comedy. I, mm -hmm. I um, obviously, if an audience is, has gone mad for whatever reason, then they they don't necessarily like hearing certain jokes that challenge their worldview. But now that everyone's relaxed. I'm saying the same jokes, maybe I've relaxed too, I'm saying the same jokes in the same places to the same types of people and it's really very different. I did one show at the beginning in Brighton and I couldn't understand it because everyone was laughing. Exactly, with, they were actually laughing early and um, I'd had a, a strange run of things and I was thinking, what's going on here? It was almost like I was expecting Jeremy Beadle to pop out and say I'd been caught and I couldn't understand why I was so popular in this room, it was like old times, and it turned out that that show was where they held the local stand in the park, and I didn't know. So all of the people that would do the stand in the park had gone to this comedy gig, and when they'd see me, it was as if they were, well, I, I missed my train, let's put it like that. I really got on with everybody. Which, hang on, what's the, the, like, the thing in the park, what's that, the, the lockdown protest? It was like a stand in the park where people that felt like us would meet up and have a chat because everyone was so isolated and ostracised by their friends and family that some people created these little groups. And I happened to coincidentally be doing a show there. And it was, hmm. it was brilliant. In fact, I've done loads of these really peculiar gigs since then on purpose. And uh, I did one in a farm the other day and it was just excellent. So I you met lots that was of a wonderful... <laughs> yeah. I'm worried about the idea of you going out to a farm. I wasn't sure beforehand, Nick. I tried to get out of it. I said, I can't possibly do this. And, um, and I couldn't understand how... I said, just get the other people to do a bit more time. And they said, but there aren't any other people. You are the show. And we've sold loads of tickets. And I was thinking, oh, my God. So I'm, I would hate to let anyone down if they've sold tickets. But also I was thinking, what do you mean I am the show? I'm basically delivering myself to be murdered in a farm. Or worse, this guy's going to drive over 30 to get me there. And, um, so you have to do like 45 minutes on a farm on your own. Yes, and, and I had gone through my messages after thinking, how did I agree to this? And apparently it said, do you want to stay in a Winnebago? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I'd forgotten about it. I hadn't even written it down. <laughs> I didn't stay in the Winnebago. But the show was brilliant. It was really good fun. But I was going to say about comedy, that I wanted to do comedy because it was something that you could just say what you liked in. I could say all of the things on stage that I wouldn't say, you know, at the school gates or at a dinner party or yada, yada, yada. In fact, I didn't even have to go to a dinner party because I'd be working. And in the last few years, it's really changed. And, um, and I don't think it's a bad thing that I've parted ways with liars. I'm quite happy to, um, I think everything should be small and local like my career. And it's very liberating. <laughs> I, I don't mind, I, I don't mind at all. I don't wanna be, I don't wanna be um, on Strictly Come Dancing. I'd rather kill myself. So, so there's not, I haven't, I would have lost my life because I thought it was so wicked what we were doing. I, I was happy to lose everything, but I don't feel I've actually lost much. You know, what have I well, lost? Yes, very interesting. Certainly Strictly didn't work out too well for my friend Sean, but that's another story. Yeah, I mean, oh. you, you know, he got cancelled for a couple of years. But yeah, very interesting. <laughs> By the way, you're, you're the, you're the, 
the gig you mentioned reminded me of the um, reminds me of the Lee Hurst gig that I did, a pro- anti-mask gig, <laughs> where it was just like all know. anti-maskers in a room. Oh yeah, well, you were there as well. It was yes. so like aggressively anti-mask. It was like a borderline rally feeling, and some of the staff were still wearing masks. And where it, where it got a bit nasty was there's like a touch of aggression towards staff. It's like don't do this, guys. Like, like we, we had to sort of stop it. But it was like it was like a bizarro world where we were the normal ones, and we were sort of like just it, you know. It finally we could let off steam and be like we hate mask people. So it was like yeah. it was a bit weird the other I way maybe. But you, you like if you just said something about ma- if you said like fuck masks on stage, you'd get like a big cheer. But this weird, actually, I did a gig for him, and a comedian that I love um, was trying to be amusing backstage and said, um, oh, you know, what have, what have I been hoodwinked into? Is this some alt-right Trump um, fest sort of thing? And I said to him, "Yes." why would you say that to me? <laughs> no, but, why, but I was curious, what, what about, because this has really interested me, why, if you believe in consent and bodily autonomy, why would that suddenly align you with a different country's politics? I know your politics, but I'm talking about mine. I had I I was literally just pro autonomy, and I'm anti state intervention. I don't think it's absurd that you can say someone can come into my house and check that my mother's not come over. It's disgusting, but I couldn't understand how people were so grateful to not have to think for themselves that they would just lump things in with something else that they didn't like. And it, this was actually happening to people personally. I know someone who is immune compromised and they didn't want to take the the mystery meds, and um. They kept worrying because it would pop up on their different apps that that made them a Trump supporter, and I, I thought this is you're literally being hunted by an algorithm, and it's working, and that's only going to get worse. I think if people keep checking in um, to see who they might be aligning themselves with instead of just not checking, I, I don't really. Yeah. I don't see how you what's, can. What's really interesting about. Yeah, I was just going to say what's really interesting about your example there is you were just sort of espousing a traditional English liberalism and like a belief that, you know, you can't check on who's coming to my house and so on. They've tied it to Trump. And what's ironic there is Trump is one of the main purveyors of the safe and effective treatment. He's been bragging about how yes. he rolled it out during his time. So that what they're saying is completely incoherent anyway. Yeah, and, and that's it's for that reason. I think he's an absolute scum. Yeah. But um, I, I think it was just completely, completely bizarre. Do you know what though? I have, I haven't watched TV in over a decade, and um, that was interesting because my husband watches TV all the time, and sometimes I'd pass through, and at the beginning of everything, um, the the news was at least kind of presented in a in a realistic fashion. And after a year, when I would walk through, it just looked so ridiculous. But I think if you're, it's like seeing someone every day that's gaining weight, you don't notice. Whereas if you haven't seen them for a year, like, holy crap, what happened to you? And um, I think that people haven't noticed how, how bad things are because they're constantly watching things and they, they don't, um, they haven't had, they haven't thought for so long that they can't remember what thinking is. They yeah. don't even read anything. No, it was really a media phenomenon. And many people remarked, you know, this couldn't have taken hold in the 90s before before social media. It was a media and social media phenomenon largely. Not that it wasn't perhaps, you know, not it wasn't, it was, not that it was not real, but it was certainly massively exaggerated by the media. Yeah, well, you, so you're, you're <laughs> questioning that. Yeah, well, there's different, slightly different levels of red pillness. You might be 1% further than me on the scandemic. But, um, right, so all the red pill, no. But now I'm yeah, saying Mozart. But as I said to you at the time, I've been taking a steady diet of them for years, so I, I couldn't overdose. So it's just, to me, it's just it was all it was all typical. But it was, I, I, I did, did. I did. I definitely. You I definitely what? took them all at once. I definitely overdosed. Yes. I took everything at once, and I had been so comfortable in the in the Matrix. And uh, there's there's a reference to a film I saw a thousand years ago. Um, but yeah, I was you so turned, you turned it to Andrew Tate. Escape the Matrix. Go on, carry on. I know who that is, uh, but I, I, um, I was so, I was so comfortable, and I was so confident, and I sort of um, subconsciously, I think, was either very neutral about controversial things, or I just wasn't that interested in them because they weren't preoccupying for me. That I, I um, it, yes, I, I was so, I was so deeply horrified that I. I, I thought everywhere I looked, I, I just thought this is the Antichrist. 
and um, and I had been a really smug atheist for my whole adult life, and I was just I took all the red pills. Yeah, it, it was I frightened myself. Now I'm relaxed again. My bark inventions. You yeah, you frightened some of the people. I mean, the, the comedy world. Of course, I played a guitar. I've got two guitars in the background. Yeah, I always play guitar. But um, the, the comedy world thought you'd kind of gone mad, didn't they? Well, you know, maybe. It's, it's not something that people say to you directly. A friend of mine told me directly that he thought I was insane. Or I said, did you take it? And he said, yeah, because I'm not insane. And um, But then he, since then, he keeps um, getting sick. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter. Well, yeah. The point I is... Mean, I, uh, it, it doesn't listen. It doesn't matter. I'm being, I'm being slowly rehabilitated, and I'm doing well in shows. And people, you know, if you have jokes, people then eventually get you back. You know, it doesn't really. I can't do anything about it. I have my opinion. I'm gonna. I'm a free. I'm still a free creature. I'll say what I like. Okay, so you're slight. You have the same opinion, but you're slightly happier because you kind of went. You were kind of a bit, let's say, a bit upset during that time, or whatever the word would be. You were kind of disgusted. I mean, I felt the same as you. I felt like, for example, the masks, just as an example, or even the safe and effective treatment, I was just like, you're doing what? Like, there was never a moment where I was going to do these things. It was, it was never going to happen. Like, it wasn't even, I was just like, but I'm used to sort of, the way it's different for you is I'm used to just looking at whatever everyone's doing and going, all right, this doesn't apply to me. I never thought for a second that it, it was anything I was going to do because it just obviously seemed like nonsense to me to such an extreme degree. It, it's quite hard, quite hard to even explain. It was just like, they're all wearing masks now. Like there was never a moment when I was going to consider doing any of this stuff. Right? It wasn't. It wasn't a debate within me. I was just like, "You're, you're taking what?" It was obviously mental. Yeah. Now Scott oh, Adams will I... criticize this and say, "You what?" I thought I could stop it. That's the, that's the difference. I thought that I personally yeah. could go out and 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 change people's hearts and minds, and um, I was wrong. Yeah. So that I was wrong about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I never thought I could do that. But, but, but what Scott Adams would say, and he said this, he admitted that the people who didn't take what you call the mystery meds were, he, he admitted they were correct, but he claimed they were just lucky because they applied a basic heuristic, namely the government and big pharma are probably are not to be trusted. But I say, what's wrong with that? I mean, in, in lieu of, I mean, I think that's a bit of a sort of straw man. I don't think it's exactly what I was doing, but in lieu of... It's a No, I don't agree with him. I no. don't like it. I... I I don't want to be. We used to think it was wrong to experiment on people, just as a as a blanket thing. We certainly didn't say, "Oh well, what we'll do first is experiment on the most vulnerable people." That's already obscene. That's already obscene. The yeah. the battle my friend had to stop her um, disabled child, adult. He's an adult, but still with a, a child's capacity. The 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 process she's had to go to through for two years to stop this sort of demonic desire to poison her son is is extraordinary in fact i i think that the medical profession is the worst they seem the most um brainwashed almost beyond redemption uh, i i don't know um and the, the so my dry cleaner really sound guy um he was saying to me how the pharmacist really suffered during the lockdown because they didn't have any business and uh, and i thought that was really funny that during a, a pandemic when the pharmacist was open he the no one was ever ill and he couldn't sell any medicines but, <laughs> but since the mystery meds were introduced he's really making a, a killing and he's recovered all of his losses and um and i i mean these people live and exist with without without irony or conscience and Unfortunately, you know, we are we are all in this together, even if, um, you know, I'm, we're going to suffer because of these stupid people. But never mind. I am still clinging to the piano. <laughs> I've got to stop mentioning the piano. I'm just so pleased with myself. No, that's the difference. You've, you've gone, you used to say to me, what are we going to do now? Now it's never mind. I've got the piano. So it's just like, <laughs> it's an evolution. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you're feeling better. I mean, even though you haven't really changed your view, which is which is fine because you're largely right. Uh, but yeah, the Scott Adams thing, it, yeah, it, it was not quite right. He was saying it as if we just guessed, uh, because of course we, you, you're not a scientist, so you, you. But it's not really a guess, is it? It's just basic morality, as you say. It's like I didn't suddenly abandon. When we guessed, when we guessed it, if you want to call it guessing, we didn't say, "Hey, if you don't guess the same way as me, I'm going to ruin your life, take away your career, stop you leaving your house." Um, call you mental, harangue you, harass you, have 
arseholes going on the, the news saying, well, I don't want to sit next to that person in the theatre. If it's a guess, or even if it's not a guess, if it works, then why the hell do you care what I do? So it was it was all completely disgusting. In fact, do you know what? I'm getting so angry again that we should talk about <laughs> Sorry something. about that. Also, I'm looking at myself too. Oh no, I'm gonna start parenting. It's awful. I'm so vain. I'm vain. Well, and there's, there's no there's no point in it. The best days are done and I still am um, still clinging on to the wreckage. Tanya, if I looked as good as you, I'd be looking at myself all day. It's don't worry about it. Yeah, um such a fanatic, such a <laughs> Um, I can't even, I can't actually, the connection was bad there, but I'll assume that uh, that went down well. The, uh, all I was going to say though, um, all I was going to say on that is, yes, I won't make you angry again talking about it. We can move on slightly because I don't want to get you angry. I just thought the listener might be interested. But the other the thing you have touched on a few times is this, uh, you're sort of becoming Christian because of it. Like quite a few people actually, you, you, now I don't want to put words in your mouth, it, broadly it seemed that it was, you, it was so evil to you that you, you became Christian. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right, yeah. So you, before and you were I, an atheist... I was an atheist, a really arrogant one. I mean, is there any other kind? And um, I was really, I was really smug and, and thoughtless, really. I didn't, I'd never thought about anything. I was just me, 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 me. And when my son was born, my first son, I, I really did see the world then sort of disintegrate, I just saw love. It was the most overwhelming thing. I understood the whole purpose of life, the meaning of existence, but I still didn't, I still saw it just in a, an immediate material way, even though I was having this higher feeling and I was trying to, you know, rise to something and also completely submit my ego to something. It was paradoxical, but I, when this evil stuff started, that was so profoundly evil, it used to annoy my husband so much that, that I would use the word evil. He felt like it was too strong, but it was so evil that, um, yeah, I just, I now I, I, I really believe in God. I spent a lot of time Nick, reading the Bible, looking for loopholes. <laughs> there aren't any loopholes, and I, I haven't really led the, um, I, I lived my whole life thinking I was a good person, and it turns out I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't one. Well, I don't believe you weren't a good person, but what do you mean by loopholes? Isn't there repentance and, and thus redemption? Yes, I've, I've studied those bits. And, um, but I mean, if you're choosing to, to live a good life, you've, I'm very attached to the wrong things, Nick. I, I am. I am. I think also, since the societally now, we're at a point where the periphery is in the centre. You know, I used to be, I wanted to be on the edge. You know, I wanted to be on the edge of society, looking at it, taking the mickey out of it. And, um, but now everything in the center is just a debauched mess. And the only way to be on the periphery is to go and join a convent, probably. I would have done that if I didn't have two sons to look after. And now the problem is, is that I'm, yeah, I'm very much in the world. You know, I'm, I, I am who I am, but I, um, I don't have the same perspective on it. And I, I'm still trying to work that out, really. I, I mm. think that the only way to be so, the, the only way to be unusual now, Nick, is to be good. But I'm, you know, life's life's frustrations still exist, don't they? So, although I, I am well, you're not. Yes. Well, we don't expect you to be a perfect person uh, like me, but yeah, it's it's tricky. <laughs> but so even um, even Nick Cave said the other day that. Um, yeah, the way to rebel now is be a, a conservative Christian. Huh? He said what? I was just saying, even 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 Nick Cave the other day said the the, the only way to rebel is be a conservative Christian. So this is this is kind of a well known point at this point. You know, like you say, being a nun that would be about the most rebellious thing you could do. Yeah, great way. Got a slight nerves. delay on our call, but yeah. So where that are you at now strange. with the comedy world? What are you doing? You're just you're just doing like normal gigs again or or you're or you just doing certain clubs are you banned from certain parts of the comedy world well i was hurt actually i was told by a great friend you know well i thought um that i was i couldn't play their room anymore because i was anti-science and i was it was not good for that i wasn't um their audience was too educated for me this was after quite a long succession of wank jokes um not from me from somebody else and i was thinking this is this is interesting because I, I said, listen, I don't need to do those jokes that you find objectionable in your room. And they said, well, you know, I wouldn't like to tell anyone what to say. I said, but you're literally saying I can't work if I say them. So I say, I won't say those things here 
anyway, I'm back there now, and I and I say them. So we neither of it, you know, it is what it is. But I'm doing. Um, it's never going to be like it was because I had a huge agent and I did lots of corporates and you know made good money in the autumn that I'd blow talking about myself in the summer at Edinburgh. But I play clubs and um, I have a lovely time and I've started a sub stack and let's hope my husband never reads that and I am um, having a creative time. <laughs> I'm having, a, I'm, I'm feeling, I, you know, I'm writing again, and for, I, for two years I didn't write anything because I felt so disappointed. And you just shouted um, it at me. Started. Huh? Oh, I did. Yes, I did. I, I, said... I went on long walks until <laughs> you got really stressed. <laughs> I drove you into therapy, but I, um, I, at the beginning of everything, I wrote these very popular Corona diaries. They were picked up by the BBC Arts Desk, so you know that I wasn't on the ball from the beginning and they they were very popular and i stopped writing them in the end <clears throat> after a couple of months and and then i started writing my building prison island ones which were funny but angry and that's when i left my agent because she did not approve of those and then i was just so disappointed because personally i had some problems um i met this man the other day an old guy and he saw me paying cash at a bar and he said, oh, you're using cash. And I said, as, as we all should. And suddenly went through all of these people. You've heard of Catherine Austin Fitz, you've heard of this one, you've heard of that one. And I was like, yes. And uh, we ended up really having this terrific chat, me and this old bloke. Um, and he had five siblings and he's, none of them are speaking to him anymore. But I had a lesser, I love my family and we've managed to get along fine. <clears throat> but I had, I've had a few difficulties um, personally. And I stopped writing because I was just... I mean, when I started my Substack, it has this list of people that you should invite that are going to support you. And it says, you know, your spouse at whatever.com, your um, parents at yahoo.com, your best friend at Google Mail. And I was reading this list of people thinking, these are all the people that I'll never be able to invite to anything I ever do or say again. But I'm managing to see all these people that I do love, and they're managing to see me, and we just talk about other stuff. But mm. I'm finally writing again for people that that um, like my stuff, you know, and that's that's fine. Both of them are very happy. <laughs> okay, yeah, we've well, gone back to what we always used to say, which is don't talk about politics and religion, etc. Now we can add COVID madness. So, um, what about? So I ask all the people on this show how we um, win the culture war, though, because I don't know if you even see that as a, the right question. But I, I like to know how do we even win this thing, assuming we're on the same side, which I think we are. Um, well, <clears throat> our culture is, is um, disgusting and I do think that some people are having some kind of instinctive sense of revulsion against it because it's clearly ugly. So, and it doesn't really matter, I don't think, what school of thought you subscribe to. It was, uh, it was Plato, wasn't it, that said the good takes refuge in the beautiful. I do think at some sort of innate level, people are... are, are um, repelled and I think that will take care of itself that repugnance at what we're seeing is is alarming people it is bothering them when it's their own children um, and they they don't think that these things are attractive that they're being sold so in that respect the culture will, will just take care of itself um, the problem is is that too many people are actually addicted to it so even on our side um, the reason I'm not looking at anything anymore is because I'm thinking well I'm even kind of interested in, oh, who's who's really on the other side, or who's not, who doesn't get it all, or who's controlled opposition. It's a, it's a gossip, but from the other side, and I I just think that the gossip is not um is not very attractive. It, it's we could just be producing good stuff, being good people, and that would be better than to sort of um, become implicated in this repulsive argument about things I don't you can't argue with the truth so we have this, this this delusion that you say you say it's wrong to mutilate a child and then I discuss it with you and that the discussion shows that we're democratic and that we're open-minded but you it's true that it's wrong to mutilate a child so there's no point discussing it discussing it just gives you an excuse to not look at the fact that we're mutilating children or to pretend it's not a problem. It is a problem. That's it. You don't need to say anything more about it. I don't need to discuss it with anybody. It's fucking disgusting and I'm not interested in it. 
So I think that people think that they have to defend something really basic. Um, and I mean, there is a lot of grey because we don't want to not do the things that we want to do. You know, there's, um, without getting too um, personal, but there's, there's obviously going to be things that we know are wrong that we, we would like to do anyway. And the difference now is that societally, we don't even think we need to feel bad about it. We, we've sort of mm. got rid of shame or made shame interesting. And I'm, I'm a person that's very attracted to the gutter. You know, naturally, I think it's interesting and that fun things are happening there. Um, but the culture war is just an inversion. It's, it's making something deeply immoral and calling it moral. It's not moral. It's, do you know, I, I, I think it's bizarre. The weirdest thing about it, so we both have done comedy unleashed. And whatever you think of Comedy Unleashed, I mean, I've literally played it. I've done a mainstream club like the Comedy Store on a Saturday night, worked with the same people on a Tuesday night who were saying the same set. Nothing's changed. But the Comedy Unleashed had this brilliant marketing thing where they'd say we're free speech comedy. And what's fascinating about that is that people cannot even align themselves anymore with free, free speech. They think that the idea of free speech means that they might hear something wrong. It's just absolutely weird. To, like a, a theatre I heard of, they, they didn't agree with the principle of free speech. They weren't even ashamed to say that. That was their reason for not hosting that show. So it's not that... I, I, I just don't see how it can get any worse than this. I mean, obviously, we're renaming everything. I mean, that's not ideal. Um, well, we've already renamed it, haven't we? We've renamed bad, good, and, you know, vice virtue. It's, it's just upside down. I mean, what do you think about the culture war? You're more interested well, in it than me. <clears throat> well, I know you mean. Well, I thought it was, you made a brilliant point there about debate, which I'll get onto. But first, yeah, on the gossip element, yeah, I mean, my job now in various mediums is basically to discuss it. And sometimes I do think that is that giving it oxygen, so to speak. But I tend to think we probably have to fight the battles. So, on your point about debate, I thought it was a great point. And William Hague was just saying that um, yeah, in some things, you know, we've moved too fast, like women's sports, like trans, like, like men in women's sports. So I was saying how useless conservatism is because all it can ever do is say, oh, we're moving a bit too fast. We're going to get there, but, you know, progressivism's happening, but it's just a bit too fast. So when he, how fast would be, what would be the correct speed for men to ruin women's sports exactly? Do you know what I mean? I mean, if you wanted to be really conservative, well, you, you they, could go back and say, why, why are women even doing sport? Yeah, yeah, we say ruin sports. You find me eleven men that want to play on a women's football team, and I might watch a match. But I am—I um, think it's, <laughs> that's a really good example of of it, it, it's so stupid. And by the way, when I started comedy, I know people that were made famous for being feminists. That's what their platform was. They weren't feminists, but they took the opportunity. Why not? And some of those same people now couldn't tell you what a vagina is. Because they were never feminists, they were opportunists, and they're still opportunists, and they're still doing very well. But it's how you, as a woman, could call yourself a bleeder to be nice. I think um, I think we get too much too much airtime, to be frank. Get rid of the women. We're we're part of the problem. Well, you I say that, but have you, day, Nick, that you would have loved. Have you read juvenile satires? No. Oh my gosh, he is such a bitch about women I have been crying with laughter and I realize now that you've just got to go back hundreds of years to um read anything amusing why would I like that Tanya how dare you I'm a feminist my view oh, it's very funny my view it's is very, very feminist funny. it's uh my view is basically women need their own spaces right because men are potentially dangerous and men need their own spaces because women are annoying I mean that's that's feminism <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, also, women are absolute animals. If you go into a women's toilet, it's disgusting. I don't. I don't, think that, I don't think that men should see this, but um, but yeah, men's I, toilets uh, are I, horrific. I, men's toilets are apocalyptically bad, so I'm not sure. I think we would get the better of that trade-off, probably, but that might well, be the only we'll thing. We'll find out. We'll, we'll find out, that. but we'll move there slowly. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew I could say that women can't with you here. That gave me a certain safety, but it was just a bit of banter. But um. Yeah, I mean, you could argue if you were really conservative, you'd be like, why are women playing sport? Why aren't they in the home? But I just thought it was so pathetic, the, the idea of we're going to progress, but just, you know, not too fast. But um, so you're right, there's some things we don't yeah, need to that's debate. That's what this feminist said, Nick. That's what this feminist said. Right. She said, um, like, so when she started, the whole thing was if you didn't find her funny, it was because you were a sexist pig and you had to change comedy and this, that and the other, basically to facilitate her career trajectory. And then, then she was saying, well, you know, I'm not interested in sport, so it doesn't really matter. 
Well, no one was interested in, in your comedy, but you thought that counted. <laughs> so it's a total, it's a total, um, the hypocrisy is repulsive, but women generally have gone mental. You can see this just by looking at what they're doing to their faces. When I do clubs now, really young people, and by the way, it's not that I wouldn't like to look better, but really young people are mutilating themselves. They've got these crazy lips that they can't shut. They're putting all of these injections. Really young, gorgeous people, or previously previously known as gorgeous people. And um, I think that it's it, the narcissism in our culture is so extreme now. People have become so mentally unwell in their own fixation. I mean, what that is hell, isn't it? Just spending all day looking at yourself, tweaking yourself, talking to yourself, posting pictures of yourself. I mean, you're, you've lost it. We've lost it, I think. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. The, the other one to go to is Schopenhauer, that by the way. He, Schopenhauer was saying misogynist things way before before anyone. So you mentioned Juvenile, didn't Not you? Not Juvenile. Yeah. Huh? Juvenile precedes, Schopen, Juvenile precedes Schopenhauer, does he? Not right. Yeah, he does. Definitely. Yeah, he yeah. wins. Well, I, I'm Very saying, funny. anyway... Obviously, he's I'm very a funny about adulterous women, and he, he says adulterous women will run away with their lover, but they won't do anything. Like they'll they'll suffer anything to run away with a lover, but ask them to be loyal, and they'll puke on their husbands. It was so funny. It's just absolutely hilarious. I've been reading so many funny. So he people. was doing red pill content. Yeah, really. So he was doing sort really of uh, Andrew Tate type content way back in the day. I haven't watched that content. It's too, it's too um, strange looking. I can't look at him. Very odd looking. Okay, well, I met him and he's, he's, he's a good guy. But, um, um, and everyone agrees, that's uncontroversial. But, um, so, all right, so you've been very clear on your, on your sort of, I, I mean, you've implied very strongly there. You, oh, no, I just wanted to quickly say while I remember, you're saying all this, Tanya, about women, but the great thing is about being a woman in comedy, you can go completely mad and still get quite a lot of work. I mean, <laughs> isn't that true? Yeah. So you've done all right there. Well, I don't know. I am. Um, if you saw my diary, Nick, you'd you'd. Um, I'll go with that comment because it's suggesting that are uh, good, and you're always supposed to self-promote, aren't you? But yeah. I've definitely had some gaps. You've had some gaps when you, but you. I mean, I think you've done quite well, given given the kind of things you were saying. You've come back. You're, you're happier. You've got some gigs. You're doing okay. But you're you've hinted very strongly there that you about child mutilation and things. So where do you stand on? On the on the whole turf thing, the whole feminism. Where, where would you class yourself now? Are you a, are you a feminist? I I, don't, I, don't, I think it's completely absurd that even the question of feminism, which has just become envious, spiteful nonsense, as people try and get something for themselves that they think that they deserve. And I I think if we all look at ourselves. We probably don't deserve the things that we think that we deserve. But separately, do I think biological sex exists? Of course, yes. I I know I know what I am. And I think if you touch a child then you, you should go to jail for the rest of your life. And I think that the idea of suggesting to a an, child that they don't know what body they're in, it makes you scum. So is that clear enough? That is absolutely clear. And, and, and funnily enough, I know you, you're sort of staying off Twitter, but I said the exact same today on Twitter. It was a speech from that uh, Scott Nugent, who was in the What is a Woman documentary, who is, is, has all these medical problems from transitioning, from being told, hey, you're, you're a, a, a man when, it, when he was a... He was a woman, and he's got these repeated infections. He's he's not going to live that that long, and he he makes this impassioned speech, or she, depending. On, I don't know what we even what he even is, but he he makes this impassioned speech, and and it's just so disgusting. Anyone who's who's, who's performing these surgeries, what, what, aren't they worse than pedos? Because at least if you let's say something happens to you as a child, you could you psychologically scar him, but you could at least recover and get therapy. If you're mutilated physically, that's it. And by the way, I know people that had a very difficult time as children because they were homosexual and have wonderful um, lives as adults. No one chemically castrated them for their own good. You know, no, it, it, it's just leave the children alone, but they can't leave the children alone. And, and this is, we're going into corporate, corporate communism is, is what it's going to be. And, um, you can see it with a sort of collaboration between private companies and the state. So even if I was trying to buy a train ticket the other day, on, I can't even remember what service. And my options, I've always called myself Miss, even when I was a kid. I've been difficult my whole life. I just didn't want to be Miss or Mrs. And I've just kept Miss. And on this, I went to buy a train ticket and the options were Mr, Mrs or Mix. And this is a train company. 
and as an MX. And um, or like the, the Vodafone or Apple or whoever's to blame is going to let the government send me an emergency alert on my telephone. So or so the the or look at what happened with the gas companies. The little gas companies were basically told to give out free gas until they all went bankrupt, and then by the end of that summer, they were just state monopolies. And then so we're having like a sort of a, a it's the ultimate private-public partnership where the state and big monopolies are going to be able to say what we have access to. And, but it's because at a fundamental level we've forgotten what local is. So there's a Tesco's on the corner, and you won't believe it, I went in there the other day. <gasps> Me. And, um, and the Tesco's is always talking about, you know, we're here to serve our community and we're going to have quiet time on a Wednesday morning if you, if you need some quiet time. And these things are, are absurd, repulsive notions. Tesco's is obviously not doing anything for the community. It has no community. It just has a security detail and some people it doesn't recognise. You're going to have to recover like personal relationships with people. We're going to have to go backwards because, but it won't be going backwards, it will be going forwards. We have this idea that we're sort of making progress. We're not making progress. We're, we're not making progress. I am, um, you know how your phone, I have an iPhone, not to, uh, not to brag. Um, I have a Nokia too, burner phone, and but the iPhone makes you these little medleys of um, like images, you know, that they think is going to move you. So they take together the important people that they spotted in your life, and then they make a little movie and they post it to you. I don't suppose you've had any of these, Nick, <laughs> but I'm a very popular woman. And <laughs> anyway, my my kids were sick, and at the beginning of this two weeks, they were shitting blood. And it was black powder, which is the worst kind of blood to shit, apparently. So I was making them crap in a potty, taking photographs and sending them to a, a doctor. And at the end of the two weeks, they were shitting fresh blood, which is an improvement. Anyway, the point is my phone has made this movie of, of someone that's recognised as important in my life, this potty, and it sent me this, this film. And I realised that that's how I see progress, just an endless stream of shit played to elevator music. I think it's, it's not going to get better until we... On, on every level, everything big is poisonous. But even to have something scaled up makes it makes it poisonous. When you scale up farming, it's poisonous. When you scale up medical campaigns, it's poisonous. When you when you scale up um, supermarkets, it's just people that don't care about stuff, and other people that are trying to nick stuff. It, it's we're we're just at the it's the end times, isn't it? But we're going to come out of it, and then things are going to be better. But only if we leave our children alone. I think if we can't defend our children, then we deserve to suffer as we will suffer. We're really making, we're going to ruin these kids and they're going to be the next generation. They're not even going to know, they're not going to have any kind of, um, uh, they're not going to have anything solid that they can then depart from to develop their own personality. They're going to be confused so by so many different things they're not going to get. To, they're not going to reach the point of thinking because they're going to be preoccupied by something that is irrelevant. You, you, you take you take one thing. Oh, it's dry. So you go outside without your umbrella. If you can't even decide whether or not it's raining, then how can you possibly crack on with your day? You know, it's on a really basic level. We're corrupting our language and our, our all of our ways of identifying stuff, or all of our all of our rootedness, and then people aren't going to be able to move forward because they're not even going to be able to leave their room. They're just going to be stuck there. Right. Which is the point, in the metaverse. That's, that's the goal, but it's not my goal. I'm not in the metaverse. Although actually, do you know how I can close an Instagram account that I can't access? Because I left Facebook because I was just looking at my friend and her decline. <laughs> and this is, this is really bad of me in my new Christian path. So I closed Facebook, but now I can't get into Instagram. And I just want to shut it, but I can't access it. So if any of your listeners are um, tech-minded, just let me know how I can shut this damned account. Because people apparently are messaging me and annoyed at me that I'm not replying, but it's because I can't get in. <laughs> I, want to, I want to terminate it all. Okay, listeners, help Tanya shut her account. I thought it was a great point, very interesting defense of localism. So you see that as the future. One tiny qualm in your very funny uh, kids shitting analogy is it in, in progressivism it would start as a fresh bud and then move to the black powder because it just always gets worse it wouldn't yeah, go the other way around I agree yeah but otherwise it was very funny well I, I really think that we're um, I think if as a 
if people don't have the confidence to just say, leave children alone, or a child doesn't need to be taught how to masturbate, you know, really basic stuff, a child doesn't need to have sex education lessons at six. If, they, if you can't even say that, you've got to understand why would someone want to tell these things to a child? My son doesn't understand why the seagulls keep jumping on top of each other. You know, I saw, I saw some vicious duck sex on my way to a show in the on Monday night. If I want him to understand the, 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 the harsh realities of life, I'll take him, I'll take him to Hemel Hempstead. I, I don't <laughs> need him, him to go into, Yeah, I don't need him to go into school and be told things about adult relationships when he's absolutely pure. And I, I think that there is something profoundly wicked in wanting to, in finding the purity of a child and affront to your own um, agenda. There was this disgusting um, advert, I mean all of the adverts are disgusting, but there was an especially disgusting one um, where it was, you know, what, how do I explain to someone that I'm demisexual? And it was this bloke and he was standing like this, and if you were with a child you'd understand how repulsive it was. So these adverts were on the underground, and I'm sitting with my son who's reading, and if you look up, this man is looking down as if looking down at a child and he's saying how do I explain to someone that I'm not ready for sex yet, that I'm demisexual. This is, if you could see how profoundly um, corrupt that is, that you can't take a, a child that can read on public transport without them having to see about whether or not someone's, you know, who they want to have sex with, what condom they're using, how they get, you know, it's just, there's no, um, there's no safe space for a child to just be a child without having adult concepts thrown at them all the time. And my son has never had screen time and he's nearly seven. So I quite, I'm confident about that. But he, it's amazing if you watch a child. Like someone said to me the other day, how have you managed to indoctrinate him like that? I was like, well, I haven't indoctrinated, I've just played with him. And we, you know, we bird spot and we, we play music and we do stuff together. But I think people have just abdicated their responsibility. And if you abdicate all responsibility, you're going to be a slave. And that's what's going to happen. We're going to be, we already are enslaved by our, our desires because we're told that they're all legitimate. They're obviously not all legitimate. And we're also enslaved to the wider society because we can't bear to be unpopular. And we think people are looking at ourselves because we're looking at ourselves all the time. But a child doesn't need to have that experience. They can look at the world and grow into it if you give them enough room and i think that's the way forward absolutely i mean i felt horrified by the sex education schools without even having children at nine they were going to be taught about allyship and gender this and that at 12 they're going to be taught about rough sex one of the programs was saying is is attraction to children a, a sexuality it was like asking the question it's like okay back away back away pedos that's what yeah, it's disgusting it's disgusting, it's got to be called out, it's disgusting, it's clearly paedophilic, it's absolutely repugnant and the problem is, it's not enough to keep your own child away from it. Because if you can't make a, if you can't be confident to make that statement, any time you're asked, anywhere that you're asked, then it means that all of those other children are going to be learning those things and those are the children your children are going to be having a relationship with. So this isn't something that we can abdicate from as a society. It should be incontestable that you protect a child until they're an, an adult. And we've got, yeah. we're infantilizing adults and we're maturing children. That's how dysfunctional we are. Adults now think that they can't make any kind of decision or take any sort of responsibility, that they have to, they have to be told everything by the, the government or by a, a company or by an idol or a pop star. They, they can't take any responsibility for themselves and then a child who shouldn't have any responsibility is, is being perverted into a dysfunctional adult by dysfunctional people. Um, but I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm clearly not keen on going back to work, Nick, and I'm trying to unravel those few gigs I got back in the diary. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's our inverted society. Sometimes people who, on our side get called brave for saying certain things. But if you can't say very clearly, stop mutilating children, stop perverting children, all these things, then you're completely lost. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer to say that. If you can't say that, you're lost. So I absolutely 100% agree, obviously. But, um, but Tanya, you've got to go in a minute, and we've done like an hour, so maybe we should wrap it up. And... We've done an hour? Yeah, yeah. No. We've done over an hour. You've had so many interesting things to say. Mm -hmm. My only concern is the connection, and hopefully, hopefully we get a decent recording. But, that, but the content has all been great. So 
Where can yeah, people find you? That's, I didn't even realize we got started. That's how, I know, um, you're barely just warming up. I know, uh, I have missed you. Can we go out now in real life? We can in real life, a, yes. See, see, listeners, some, some women like me. I get called a misogynist sometimes. I have female Nonsense. friends. Yeah. yeah, I love you. Oh. I'm a fan. You're the third woman on my show already as well. I mean, how can I be misogynist? Anyway, Tanya, where can they find you? Twitter, Substack, all that stuff. I'm still on Twitter. And I have started this Substack, and I would love to—I'd love to have some people reading my paragraphs. I'm—I'm I'm putting out a, at least a paragraph a week, and um, so well, it's give not people ta- the it's app. So it's at, at Tanya Edwards on Twitter, T-A-N-I-A Edwards, pretty simple on Twitter. And where is your Substack? TanyaEdwards.substack.com. That's I've it. Just read yes. it. And that's literally. And then after that, just come and find me in a club and have a pint. Yes, and you are a very brilliant writer, so definitely go to Tanya's Substack. She's very smart, as you've seen, very good writer. And thanks for doing the show, and I'll speak to you in real life soon. Yes, next week. Well, that was Tanya, one of my favorite people, and very, very funny. Go and see her comedy live. She's very funny, very smart, very cool person. My only problem is she's an absolute boomer when it comes to tech. Who has no headphones and no microphones? So I have no idea what the quality will be like. The content was great but the actual technical quality may be bad. I hope not, but um, we did our best. So if you're watching the YouTube, please like and subscribe. If you're listening on audio, leave a five-star review. Tell a friend about the podcast. Subscribe, all those things. Write a review if you're so inclined. I have a great one here from Randoms5612, and they say, Fab, great work, Nick. I look forward to hearing your pods. I love the longer ones to get more in-depth interviews. Nick has a real talent for discussing the madness of the world in a light and funny way. It makes me realize I'm not as mad as some think I am, which is kind of the theme today. Like, are we mad? Are they mad? I think we're the same ones. They're the mad ones. Or maybe we're all mad together. Maybe it doesn't matter. All right. See you again next week.